Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. It's the interview edition, and that is what we have on this week's show. Lots to get to, including the two main eventers on this weekend's card. Kevin Holland, Derek Brunson, they join the show, as do Charles Jordan, who uh, just came off a big win this past weekend against Marcelo Rojo, and Jay Golshani, the president of the Battlefield Fight League, uh, Canadian promotional, uh, sorry, Canadian regional promotion. This is the second Canadian regional promotion to hold an event since the pandemic. The first one was last week. Rise FC, uh, headlined by Elias Theodoru, who got a win over Matt Dwyer. Uh, it's a good time right now for Canadian MMA. But we'll start off the show with the one and only former bantamweight and flyweight champion of the world, a champ champ. In fact, he's a triple champ. He's also an Olympic gold medalist. There's only one person that could be the king of cringe himself. Henry Cejudo joins us to talk about what's on his mind. Who does he, does he want to come back? If so, who against? Seems like he's got a lot of different uh, rods in the, in the fire, so to speak. Rods in the water, I guess, if you're going fishing. Is it oars in the fire? I don't remember what the, 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 the expression is. But uh, regardless of that, the King of Cringe will join us off the top. I always appreciate you tuning in. What I would really like to ask you, because the show is free, I have one favor to ask. It's not a big one. It doesn't take much time. You go on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast. Rate and review the show. Give us a five-star review. Leave a, a comment goes a long way, and uh, we always appreciate your patronage uh, without having to use a Patreon account. That's where the word Patreon comes from, from your patronage. But we are not charging you for your patronage. Not that, I, not that there's anything wrong with that, as they would say on Seinfeld. Lots of great journalists out there that have Patreon accounts that you should subscribe to. This show, however, does not have one. And the only thing I ask in return is a nice rating and review of this wonderful podcast. Let's get started with our interviews. We'll start off with the King of Cringe, Henry Cejudo, followed by... Kevin Holland, Derek Brunson, Charles Jordan, Jay Golshani, all in one place of the TSN MMA Show interview edition. Appreciate you tuning in. Here is the king of cringe himself, Henry Cejudo. Well, the king of cringe, Triple C, has allowed me access to the palace. He is the former flyweight champion, former bantamweight champion, and an Olympic gold medalist. But uh, I have a big question for you, and I think it's one that's been on everybody's mind this week. You were on Sports Nation, and you said the king of cringe is coming back. Give me some details here. I mean, that could mean a lot of things, man. I'm always coming back. I'm always up to no good. Man. I'm always up to something good. You know what I'm saying? You guys, you know, at the end of the day, when you guys see me sign on dotted line, that means I'm officially back. So when I say I'm back, it could be it, it could mean anything. It's very broad. Well, are you looking to sign on the Catch dotted me line? If you can. Are you looking for a fight? Catch me. I'm looking for all the I'm looking for all the smoke, man. Alexander Volkanovsky. I want that overgrown baboon kidding me and i would love to fight peter the ugly potato yawn and algerman curling silver on the same night and let's not forget that deficit figueredo but i'm looking i'm looking to conquer the world that's what i'm looking to do all right well first things first then are you in the usada testing pool right now as of right now i'm not but let me show you but let me show you my co-pillow collection all right we, we have, have dominic cruz captain america dana white as the Brazilians would say it, Demetrius, the mighty rat Johnson, Uncle Mike, Ali, that overgrown baboon. I mean, but to answer your question, is I'm not the Usada pool. I'm looking to, uh, I want, I want my comeback to mean something, whether it's financially or legacy, man. So, do I want to fight? Absolutely, I want to fight. 100, percent I want to fight, but it's got to be worth my legacy. And if it ain't, I just troll to the end. What's up? <laughs> so what would it take? If you do re-enter the USADA pool, how long would it be before you're eligible to compete? Have you have you looked into this at all? Um, no, not really. They even said anywhere between anywhere between I am not sure. There's there's a ways, you know, USADA man. Now now I used to be the biggest fan. Now I think there's ways around it. You know? But I think personally I think it's about six months, man, before I can compete again. But either way, man, I'm happy. I'm retired. I'm enjoying my life. Like there's nothing like there's nothing like it. Um, you know, Yesterday I was with Canelo Alvarez and I was already trolling. I was not even not even trolling, man. I was telling you know I was telling about uh about him and his little princess Ryan Garcia. And I says, man, once you get that dude to sign the dotted line with Triple C, and they actually want the fight too. 
So a lot of big things coming up for Triple C. You guys just sit tight and stay tuned. Is that one of the reasons that you retired, though? You know, if you're active, everybody's knocking on your door. Everybody's looking for a fight with Henry Cejudo. You're expected to compete. When you're retired, it gives you a lot of flexibility. Was that something that, you know, was one of the reasons why you decided to retire? Oh, of course. When people say they've done everything, nobody could say. Not Khabib cannot say they've done everything. Not even John Jones could say they've done everything. Not even Demetrius Johnson. You know, they haven't done everything. You know why? Is because they've all wrestled and nobody ended up winning a gold medal. And look at me, an Olympic gold medalist, a flyweight champ, a bantamweight champion of the world. I defended both my belts. I'm happy, man. I'm satisfied. Whether I come back or never come back, the Triple C legacy will never be broken. Ever! <laughs> well, so, I mean, just to clarify, you, you, you feel like you have enough right now. But you could always get more if, you know, the price is right, the situation is right, the circumstances are right. So that's why you're happy in retirement because you feel like there's not much more for you to accomplish uh, in terms of your legacy. But you could always do? add Khabib, to it. Khabib, Khabib could be 30 and 0 and he can have a second belt. He doesn't do that. He hasn't done everything. I have done everything. And the thing is, this is the thing, is I'm satisfied. I'm full. I don't got a chip on my shoulder. I wake up every day knowing that, hey, dude, I am the man, man. Ain't nobody left on top like me with two belts. Ain't nobody has done Not even George St. Pierre. Not even Daniel Cormier. I mean, I'm a, I'm a future Hall of Famer, and I look forward to that. Well, you mentioned Figueredo. I'm guessing that cutting down to 125 pounds probably isn't top of mind for you, or at least at the top of your want list. Oh, actually, dude, you know what? They're all options for me. I love the challenges. I love the fact that what if I did come back and fought Davis and Figueredo, Davis and Figueredo went down 125 pounds and then came up and took my about 135 pounds and then went up another weight class and took another about 145 pounds. I mean... Wouldn't that be history? So right now, how much are you training? Are, do you still have the competitive juices as if you could step back in in six months? Are you staying ready, basically? Oh, I, tra oh, I train every day, man. I train every single day. Every single day I'm running. Every single day I'm studying. Every single day I stretch. I take care of my body. I mean, I'm right now, I'm uh, man, I'm, I'm just twisted still right now. Sex appeal. So when you look at the featherweight champion, would that be number one on your list? Because that would be adding another belt to your legacy on top of the two. hundred percent. I want this overgrown baboon. This overgrown baboon will bend the knee to King Triple C. That's exactly who I want. Alexander the average. Alexander the decision maker. Triple C's coming for you. And your most recent division as champion is the bantamweight division. We saw what happened this past weekend. Uh, I'd love to hear your insight on that particular fight, how it ended, and what you think is going to happen next. Oh, both of those guys absolutely suck. For those who even think that any of those dudes are at my level, you guys do me a favor and slap yourselves. Because both Algermain and Peter the Ugly Potato Young, they both absolutely suck. And I told this to Dana. I said, Dana, I would love to fight both these guys on the same night. Or better yet... Why don't we alternate them? Peter at one round, Aljamain the second, Diego Potato the third round, Sterling Silver the fourth, and then finish them both in the fifth because they both absolutely suck. So in terms of that fight, though, when you saw what happened at the end, um, what's your takeaway from that? And forget about them being a fighter, but the actual outcome of that fight and how it ended was very strange. We've never seen a belt change hands on a disqualification before. Well, besides them both being ugly and pathetic... I thought, uh, thinking about it now, before I was a little pissed, actually. I was a little pissed at, uh, at Algernon. I was just like, man, he kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But, you know, but then I thought about it. I'm just like, you know what? The dude made a right business decision. Knowing that in the fourth round that I, he was losing all the rounds. I don't even think he won one round. Like, well, I don't know what judge scored anything for Algernon. It, it just lets you know that these judges are just, they're stuck on stupid. Anyhow. Um, and Peter Young did a great job with his defense and his composure, and that was just the difference in that fight. Al Jermaine Sterling Silver was throwing out too much development. It wasn't working, and he didn't make those adjustments. He thinks he can still throw the volume in and try to wrestle when he's dunking his head down and shooting with his head down, which makes absolutely no sense. But like I said before, put both those baboons together with Triple C, and I promise you, I knock them both out on the same night. Do you think you're going to compete this year? Like, if, if you were to guess uh, about whether or not you end up fighting in the UFC or maybe for Triller, if you're talking about a Ryan Garcia boxing match, something along those lines, 
is 2021 going to be a year where we see Triple C come back? 2020, Juan, you guys stay tuned. I don't even think 2020, Juan is ready for King Triple C. But 2021, somebody will bend the knee. So are you hungry to compete? Like, is that is that why you're a little bit more out there now? You've always been kind of on the fence about whether or not you're going to come back. You've always kind of dipped your toe into the water when you, when you see a good opportunity. But now it feels like you're really all in. Oh, show me the money, man. I just figure, you know, I got I to gotta, I gotta promote this even more. I am the king of cringe. I am the Olympic champ, the snake catcher, the mousetrap, the greatest combat athlete of all time. My name is Triple C, man. They can all come and get it. So when you're texting back and forth with Dana, what's the level of interest like from the UFC? Uh, you know, I know uh, your manager, Ali Abdelaziz, has several champions, I guess, right now. He's got Khabib is still the champion. Usman, of course. Uh, I might even be forgetting some. He's got a big roster. But he's obviously very close with UFC brass because he's always negotiating fights for somebody. <laughs> he's got so many people on the dominance roster. In terms of yourself... Um, does your name come up in conversations and, and how close do you think you are to signing something? No, well, this is the thing with Ali. Ali's a businessman and, and, and I recognize that I know that like Ali is like pretty much, you know, I allow him to do his job, man. Like that, that guy will go head to head. He'll cuss out Dana White, even though they're friends or whatnot. Ali don't give a shit, man. Like that, his athletes come first before anything. So until I necessarily bug Ali that I want such and such, then it'll be different. But as of right now, I mean, I haven't bugged him. I haven't bugged him. This is a guy with the golden rule, and I don't feel like they have the gold. I have the gold. You know what I'm saying? It's the golden rule. The guy with the gold makes the rules, and I personally feel like whenever I'm ready to come back and I want to do that, I'm going to have to contact and have a serious business talk with Ali and have him take care of business. But as of then, you know, I'm having fun. I'm enjoying my retirement. All these guys calling me out, Aljamain Sterling, Curly Silver, and that ugly and that ugly uh, – and that ugly Lord of the Ring was Demis Frigga. That's all they do after my fights. I want Triple C. I want to see I want to shut his mouth because they know that I'm the money fight. Aljamain was posting pictures, I believe, of, of you and him after he recently uh, got the title. Is there any chance that you could step in there before he gets a rematch with Piotr Jan? Do you think that that is a possibility? Or do you think that the UFC would want to book that rematch first? Uh, I think the UFC want to book that rematch first. And plus, man, Aljamain Sterling, he doesn't he doesn't have anything for me. Like, he doesn't appetize me. Are you kidding me? I can fight for the belt anytime I want to come back. But that dude, he doesn't do anything for me. He doesn't. But Alexander Volkanovsky, I'm still thinking of you. And I hope, dude, you over there taking care of Max Holloway's belt. I've seen better decisions than on 90 Day Fiance. Anyhow, I'm coming for you, you overgrown midget. With Volkanovski, to me, I feel like that's a good matchup for you. I feel like you're, you're wrestling as ahead of, you know, basically anybody in the in the smaller divisions um, that you would be competing in. Uh, and I, th I feel like on the feet, you and him would be pretty equal. Is that the way that you look at it? Is that why you like Volkanovski? Because you feel like he'd be a, a pretty solid, uh, I guess, matchup for you? And, of course, you're always looking for that opportunity. I think that Israel probably thought that Jan Vlahovic was a good opportunity for him to jump up and try to become a double champ. When you look at the opportunity, it feels like Volkanovski would be the ideal matchup for you if you look at the, the featherweights right now. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is the key, man. Uh, Dana White knows that I could be Alexander the average. Alexander the decision maker. Alexander with pillow hands. He knows that I could beat him, but for that same reason, they don't want to give me the fight. Think about it. I'm faster than Volkanovski. I, got, I, I feel like I have, I'm a lot more explosive than him. I'm a lot, I'm, I got a better... Uh, MMA IQ than him. My wrestling's better, and he's only two inches taller than me. Listen, man, that's an easy fight for me. I guarantee you, I will make Alexander the average bend the knee. And final question for you. I mean, you mentioned that your legacy is pretty much established at this point in time, uh, but it's risky for you to come back. You know, you rarely see athletes leave on top. You left on top. If you look at retirements in mixed martial arts, yours has to be number one. I mean, you retired basically as a double champ. Um, you know, Not according to the casuals. The casuals think it's Conor McGregor. The casuals think it's GSP. None of those guys left with two belts. Only one, and his name is King Triple C. So with that, it's risky for you to come back. Do you look at it as a risk? I mean, your legacy um, 
Probably, I mean, it can get better, of course, if you become a, a three-division champion. You but see it, can... it as a risk. You and your people see it as a risk. You know what I see? I see it as an opportunity. I see it as a challenge. But even if I take the next five years off, when I come back, that belt will always be mine. Well, that's why you're the ultimate competitor, no doubt. Lots of confidence, and uh, hopefully we get to see Triple C come back this year. Uh, it's been such a pleasure. Alexander Volkanovsky! When you win on that Saturday night... Triple C's coming for you, so you make sure to mention my name. There he is, Triple C. Always appreciate your time, Henry. It looks like you you like him to beat Ortega in that fight, and if that's the case, maybe you can slide on in there and we can see a, a three-division champion. Appreciate your time. Thank you. You have a good one. Some call him Big Mouth, but he's had big success in 2020. A lot of people have called him the fighter of the year of 2020. And he is known as Trailblaze to Top. But I feel like Big Mouth is picking up steam. Are you thinking of maybe changing the nickname officially? No, I mean, you guys can call me whatever you want to call me. You can call me Big Mouth. You can call me Trailblazer. You can call me anything you want. Just don't call me nothing disrespectful. We good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you won't be getting any disrespect from me uh, because you've earned a lot of respect. Now, that respect came from having a, a five-fight win streak in uh, 2020, five in a row. It took you a long time to get that kind of consistency. Was there something in training that you changed or anything that kind of clicked in order for you to have the consistent success? Yeah, conditioning a little bit a while back, and I guess that, that kind of helped a lot. You know, it's like I've always been able to fight, but being in better shape and being able to go a longer period of time really does help. So, uh, yeah, I mean, as you can say, I just became a, a real athlete, professional athlete, instead of playing around with it. I always felt that you fought to your competition earlier in your career. Um, I felt you were better than them, but sometimes you would fight down. Did, did you? Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I fight how I have to fight. You know, if I gotta fight hard, I fight hard. If I don't have to fight so hard, I won't fight so hard. I'm a lazy guy, so I tend to take advantage of it being lazy when I can be lazy. So you know, it's probably not the smartest thing to do, but it's definitely what I do. Well, has that changed? I mean, is that something that you've, that you've worked on uh, changing in terms of your mentality? Because you never want to be in a situation where you're taking it easy during a fight. No, I will, I will always take it easy if I can take it easy. Uh, I don't go unless I got to go. You know, it's, you put me in a threatening situation, then all of a sudden I'm a bigger threat. You don't put me in a threatening situation, you might just get smacked for four or five rounds, and that's perfectly fine with me. I'm no rush. I'm in no hurry. I mean, I'd love to get the fight over early, but, yeah, you play to the competition. The competition gets higher, then you get higher. It's kind of the way it goes. You say four or five rounds, which I think you're alluding to this weekend. It's your first main event in the UFC. Uh, a fight scheduled for five rounds against Derek Brunson. First, now, a main, lot of... first main event in the UFC. It's not my first main event, though. No, no, I was, I was certain to clarify that. I know that, of course, on the regional scene, you've had a lot of five-round fights. Uh, so in the UFC, this is your first five-round fight against Derek Brunson. Uh, now, a lot of people say this is your, your biggest test to date. Do you agree with that, or do you think that you've had tougher challenges than Derek in the past? Uh, I think I've had tougher fights than Derek in the past, with Derek uh, with uh, Jacare being one of them, just to mention off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, styles make fights, so it's all about stylistically who matches up well with who. And uh, if everybody feels like Derek Brunson matches up well against me, then I guess it would be the hardest fight to date until I go out there and prove otherwise. I feel like a lot of people questioned your power in this division and felt that maybe you could move down to 170. Do you feel like you answered that in the last fight, knocking out Jacare basically from your knees? I feel like I answered it a little bit every time. You know, I've got a few knockouts in 2020, and then uh, I actually outmuscled some of those boys who I thought were going to outmuscle me. So I guess I'm pretty strong for 185, but that being said, I can still make 170. I only come into fight week at about 194 pounds, and that's if I ate candy and Panera bread and cookies the night before and all the stuff I wanted to eat when I was at the airport. It's like, I don't walk around heavy. It doesn't take much for me to make 185. I can make 70 with a nutritionist, but why do that? If I can keep smacking you boys at 85 without cutting any real weight. Guess you boys need to get a tougher chin. Now, you've been scheduled to fight at 170 in the UFC before. And when Dana White was asked about Hamza Shemaev, they, he said, you know, Hamza's a, a welterweight and Kevin's a, a 185er. But I would imagine that Hamza probably walks around heavier than you do. Yeah, I bet you he does. I bet you a lot of these guys walk around heavier than me, but I got more booty than them. That's why I have that knockout power. Now, you, you have a, a, a habit of when a previous opponent fights. You have, kind of, you have a Twitter 
uh, draft ready to go. It's on lock for, for the folks that you call your children. Now, a parent should never choose favorites when it comes to their children. But in this case, I'm wondering if you have a favorite child, somebody who you fought in the past that you, that you root for. Uh, I don't call all of them my children. Uh, if somebody does that, it's probably my manager going a little overboard with it. I only call Charles and Buckley my children because I brought both of them into the UFC and finished them. Uh, you know, just gave them a humbling experience on what it feels like to be in the UFC. So I call those two my sons. So if I had to choose between those two, I'd definitely choose Buckley. Um, he's a shorter version of me, but, you know, a little bit more muscles, bigger chest. Uh, but he does the things that I taught him pretty well, so I'm proud of him. Except for that getting knocked out. He must have learned that from somebody else because daddy didn't teach that to him. Yeah, that was in, in his previous fight against uh, Alessio DeShirico. What, what do you think went wrong for him there? Uh, he didn't listen to me. I actually I actually have a message on my phone where I sent him some advice. I told him Alessio just slows down at the end of the first round and then the second round and so on and so forth. He went out there, tried to start fast, tried not to listen to his dad, and he got knocked out. He paid devilishly for it, you know, and so sometimes you got to learn how to listen, son. Sometimes you just have to learn how to listen. Well, he learned that one the hard way, unfortunately. Now, Derek Brunson, um, when you look at his game, uh, what do you see in terms of holes? I mean, you, you just picked apart a hole in Chirico's game. What do you see from Derek, unless you, you are unwilling to share that because it's something that you're looking at uh, showing off on Saturday? Nah, it doesn't matter if I tell you the holes in his game or not. Derek Brunson is Derek Brunson. He looks a lot better now that he trains with Henry Hoof, but his striking will always be his striking. He tends to poke the chin out, and he tends to put the butt back, you know, and it's like... Um, it's perfect for a leg kick, but then that leg kick leaves him open for the shot. If I throw too big of a right hand, it leaves, it leaves me open for the shot. Um, but a whole lot of lead strikes will kill Derek Brunson. And uh, when he thinks a big strike coming, but you can channel that to a straight strike, I think that'll be the one that knocks him out. Uh, he doesn't read the shit as well as he thinks he reads it. Excuse my language, but he doesn't read things as well as he thinks he reads it. So you know, I'll be curious to see how well he'll read against me. You fought at the Apex, of course, last year a bunch of times. And one of those times, Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion of the world, was sitting cage side. And you were jawing at him. And a lot of people were saying, well, Kevin's not even ranked yet. You know, who is he to, to talk to the champion like that? Now you're getting close. So we're in a main event. It looks like the middleweight title shot is up for grabs. What do you think you have to do this weekend to basically jump the line to, to get that title shot? Israel's fought a lot of these guys that are, are fighting coming up soon. He's fought Vittori. He's fought Costa. He's fought Whitaker. How can you jump the line? Uh, I... It'd be nice to jump the line, but I don't really need to jump the line. You know, I don't think the guy's really that interested in fighting me. I'd have a better chance going out there and fighting Usman than I'd have a chance of fighting uh, Israel Sanya. Every time they bring up my name, he scurries and goes the opposite way. Uh, and, yeah, I was jumping at the jaws a bit with him, but that's because he had stuff to say to me before I ever said anything to him. Uh, I'm not a bully. I don't really just pick on people unless I... Okay, I am a bully. I do pick on people. <laughs> uh, Israel Sanya, though, it is what it is. And it's like, I'll catch him when I catch him. I'm not really worried about him. That guy's coming off a loss. He needs to go prove himself again before he can fight me, and I'm the champ. Well, what did he say to you? I mean, usually when it's the champ, everybody's gunning for the champ, but the champ was gunning for you in this instance. Yeah, because he knows what Big Sexy is. When he sees me, he knows I'm Big Sexy. So, therefore, he says my name in order to get that extra extra that he needs to feel Big Sexy like me. I'm the real deal, Holyfield, and he's just playing around the lines. And it's like... I don't know, man. He uh, he said something to his teammate about that's that guy right there, and he said something to me. We we're in the locker room. Just it's a bunch of times he speaks when he doesn't need to speak. What the fuck are you speaking to me for if you don't need to speak? You know, stay in your lane. I'll stay in my lane. You get in my lane. I get in your lane, and then pow, somebody has to get popped. That's just as simple as it is. All right. Well, you're in the main event this weekend against Derek Brunson. Uh, as mentioned, you've gone five rounds uh, in the past. This is something that you've been training for, of course. With you mentioned the strength and conditioning. You feel like going five rounds with Derek Brunson, do you think it's going to go five rounds? There's a chance of it going five rounds? Or do you think this one ends earlier? Uh, I think it's a good chance this one can end early. I don't think neither one of us truly like each other that much. You know, we both respect the competition, but I don't think we like each other that much. So I think we go out there and we scrap hard, and a hard scrap is what you get. And usually when you scrap as hard as I scrap, the fight doesn't go five rounds. Uh, so I doubt it. You know, it's like I, I, it's one or two, probably two, the most three. By the third round, somebody will be, uh, somebody will be unconscious choked out unconscious something you know it's like that's the only way i see this thing going well that's a good way to preview the fight you're back at the uh, the bubble so i will let you go i appreciate your time kevin uh, best of luck this saturday main event Derek brunson uh, always appreciate it thank you guys man i appreciate you guys and sorry about the little mix up with the phone and everything next time i'll have a laptop make this thing easier you can, you can hook that up right here he's on a three fight win streak in the main event this weekend against kevin holland you know looking at your record Derek. 
you have not lost to anybody who hasn't been a champion in a major organization, be it Strike Force or the UFC. They keep putting you up against these young up-and-comers, and you keep uh, answering the call, and you keep beating these guys. Is this going to be the same situation? Absolutely. You know, it's another guy, you know, up-and-comer that's want to go on to greater things and consider himself in the title picture, so it's my job to take him out. Now, the last time you were tasked with, uh, I guess, a young up-and-comer was Edmund Shabazian. You were able to beat him. Uh, you were training with Henry Hooft at that time. Prior to that, you fought Israel Adesanya, who's now the champion. Were you still training in North Carolina when, uh, when you fought Izzy? Yeah, I was still training in North Carolina, running my own camps, you know, being real comfortable at home, my family and friends. But, um, yeah, I had to make that sacrifice and take myself out to Florida for X amount of time before a fight so I can be ready for that fight. Was it just a matter of talking to your family, saying, listen, I'm in the twilight of my career, I'm in my prime, I, I need to dedicate a couple of years to making sure that I'm, I'm prepared for these fights? Uh, obviously, it's a big sacrifice for you to be away from them, but I'm guessing that's probably how it went down? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, in order to achieve great things, you got to make sacrifices, and that was one of them. You know, I wasn't getting the proper training back at home because I have a gym in North Carolina, but we have a lot of guys that are inspiring to be martial artists, and they're at, like, the upstart of their career where – I'm in the thick of things. I'm deep in it. So I really need to be up for these fights. So when you went to train with Henry Hooft, what was the biggest difference uh, when, you, when you go to Sanford MMA versus training in your own camp? Um, accountability. You know, the coaches are there. They're uh, accountable. They're making sure you work hard. Um, the training partners are making sure you work hard. There's just a lot of bodies, a lot of set schedules, and a lot of people pushing. Was the accountability the main thing? I mean, if you have a bad day in training and you're, you're running your own training camp, is there anybody that, that can hold you accountable and say, listen, you got to pick it up? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's not, it wasn't a thing of me making sure that I train. It was just making sure that I have somebody saying, hey, we need to do this extra. We need to, and having the bodies to actually push me to make me work harder. Because, you know, if I'm, if I'm sparring with somebody who's not at my level, it's going to be easy. And I'm not going to really be able to get in really good shape. Opposed if I'm fighting this super talented guy, I'm going to have to work super hard for everything, so it's going to push me to get in even better shape. And is it easier for you to find people to emulate your opponents when you're training at Sanford because they have so many bodies there? Right, yeah. It's so many bodies and so many dreamers. You know, it's a lot of guys that nobody else know who they are now, but it's like in the next three to five years, everybody's going to know who these guys are because they're like the next generation or the next guys in the sport. So to be able to have that, definitely gets you ready for fights well give us a preview who pushes you the hardest in the gym ah man there's a lot of guys you know uh, you got jason jackson you got ong long he fights in 1fc um he, um brandon allen he fights in the ufc um rumble johnson he fights in the ufc i mean there's a i mean i can name for days you got robbie lawler um there's just so many guys man i i can go on for days man we probably have like 30 ufc guys probably like, you know, 20 other major other promotion guys. So it's just a lot of guys getting ready for big fights. I've been seeing pictures of Rumble lately. He's, he's in great shape now. I mean, what's he walking around that, if yeah. you were to guess? I don't know, man. He's in, he's in great shape. I would say probably about 220-ish. I don't know, man. The guy's in great shape. We run, and he's just as fast as I am, man. I'm like, this is some, some crazy stuff. You know, he's big, in shape, and he, he's, he's ready to go. What do you normally walk around that? Like, right now... Uh, you know, I don't mean to ask you what your weight is today, but how much do you have to cut before you uh, you get on the scale on Friday? Well, so I walk around about 205-ish normally. So, you know, that's about 20 pounds, 19 pounds out from my fight weight. Do you feel like Holland's a welterweight? Like natural, like a natural welterweight? Obviously, he's done great things at middleweight, but do you feel like he's a little bit undersized? Oh, yeah, for sure. He's definitely a smaller guy, but these guys are making a living now. They're not cutting a lot of weight. Um is that um, he's fast, he's quick, he's fast. So that's one of the things that you have to pay attention to. I know for sure that I, I can be physical with him, throw him around and stuff like that, but it's a, it's a matter of just taking my time because he's going to be quick, he's going to be fast, being that he, is, he isn't like the biggest middleweight. You know, he's more lanky and fast with it, fast twitch. Do you watch a lot of tape on him? I mean, obviously there's a lot to watch from the last year. He's, got, he's 5 and 0 in 2020. Um, I haven't watched a lot of tape. I watched a little bit. I saw what I need to see, and then we worked from there. You know, I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on my opponents. I always worried about bettering myself and making sure that I'm um, getting ready for that fight. Yeah, I actually heard you say something similar in an interview with Mike Swick. He said that uh, you don't really watch a lot of a lot of tape. You just see what you need to see. <laughs> you can point it out really quickly. You notice what the uh, where you can best somebody, and you don't you don't loom on it for too long. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I know what they're going to do. I know they're going to be improving and look to better themselves. But, yeah, I'll see what I need to see. And they're like, okay, I got it. I got exactly what I I see how we're going to approach this. I see what they're going to do. I see their tendencies and this is what we need to work on. So do you have like coaches that are able to really look through it with a fine tooth comb? You look at it kind of more broad and you can get a better sense of, uh, you know, the big picture just from looking at a little bit of a sample size, but you have somebody on your team that looks at everything. Yeah, I have my coaches and stuff that look at it and they come to me and say, hey, these are some of the things you need to pay attention to. This is what you need to work on. So I'll, I'll let them do that, you know, um, let them earn their money. But um, me, I just focus on myself and focus on, on the fight. You're 37 now, I believe. Uh, you had a birthday in January. How much time do you think there is left for you to get that that elusive title shot? You haven't been able to get one in the UFC, but right now people are talking about you versus Holland the main event, of course. You've got Vittori and Till coming up, and now you've got Robert Whitaker against Kelvin Gastelum. So, so you look at the big picture there, and uh, you know somebody's going to get a title shot from it, but Israel's beaten a lot of these guys already. He's already, I mean, he's beaten yourself. He's beaten uh, Vittori. He's beaten Whitaker. He's beaten Gastelum. So the only one he hasn't beaten is Darren Till, but obviously somebody's going to get that next shot. Uh, how, how are you going to put yourself in a situation where it can be you next? Yeah, for sure. You know, go out here and impress, finish this guy, and I feel for sure I'm one fight away, you know, one good fight away. So, yeah, that, that's 100%, you know. Um, I try to fight Costa, who was number two or something like that, and he was saying he was injured, whatever. Um, but, yeah, he just pulled out of a fight. So I know 100% the UFC, take care of this fight, they'll for sure make that fight. They'll make him fight me, you know. So that'll put me next for the title shot. So that's where we're at. The fight that you had with Whitaker is a sneaky, one of the, the most entertaining fights that, that the UFC, I think, has had. Uh, but if you were to fight him again, would you have a completely different game plan? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, just be a lo- lot more patient, you know. I hurt Whitaker. It's funny, that fight could have went either way. Um, I had him hurt. I had him rocked. I, I'm great. I missed his face by this much a couple of times, but it was just a little bit too too aggressive. So it's about, you know, taking my time, being smart, just being a have, having a little better approach. And for sure, I believe the the results would be a lot different. Yeah, I actually think that you had a good game plan going into that because we haven't seen Whitaker get swarmed like that. And uh, as you mentioned, you, you put it on him early and that, like you said, could have gone really either way. That's why I wonder if, if you did it again, if that would be, you know, kind of a similar approach for you. Yeah, no, not the same approach. I tune it down a little bit. But I know, I, like I said, I've seen enough from Whitaker and I know where I can expose him at. But, you know, at that pace wouldn't be the smartest thing to do. And, of course, with this fight being five rounds, uh, is that something that you're looking to avoid as well as, you know, trying to uh, go after him early? He says he doesn't think the fight's going to get into the third round. Do you have the same mentality? Uh, it could. It could. Well, see, here's the thing is that I know his game's plan. I know how he's going to come out. He's going to come out reckless, looking to get it done early, and that's going to open up things for me. Um, yeah, he don't want to go deep with me because, you know, that, that plays into me, you know. Skill for skill, he's not better than me. You know, he he have to get lucky and, and catch me being reckless or doing something stupid or being predictable. But um, I like my chances in a in in a war. I like my chances in a three rounder, four rounder, five rounder. You know, just to be able to wear on them and and, and take them to the deep waters. So if he does give you those openings early, are you going to be careful in terms of which ones you choose to capitalize on? Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! If he give me those openings early, I'm gonna I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let him give me openings, and I'm gonna take whatever. So it's going to be a matter of, you know, if he want to, if he want to open up early and, and leave himself open, I'm going to be, I'm going to be all for the taking, you know, or if he wants to take his time, you know, I, I think that better suits me also, you know, if we in a long drawn out fight, you know? Yeah, that does seem to be uh, something that he does. He likes to dictate how the fight goes, but uh, when people have tried to do that to you in the past, it hasn't really gone their way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He liked to dictate the fight, you know, he liked to control the rhythm, but you know, and I'm not going to, I'm not gonna let him control the room not gonna let him control the fight he's gonna have to fight my pace fight and if you want to open up earlier then you know it's gonna be consequences that come with that so you said you feel like you need one more after this before you get a title shot so if you were if you had the book if you were gonna give israel his next opponent how would you rank the current contenders if you were to choose who's next who's next uh probably probably will be whitaker uh does whitaker have a fight no he doesn't yeah, whitaker's fight, right? got Ga- gastelum now which just got Apparently, that's that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so yeah, so the winner of that fight could be next for sure because they, so Whitaker's that'll be three fights for him. Gassum had a good fight with him, so the winner of that fight probably be next. And then they're gonna, there's gonna be, you know, me, the winner of Vittori, um, 
until, um, you know, Costa's kind of on the back burner. He didn't really make the UFC happy with him just kind of pulling from the fight because whatever. So, like I said, the, this is a very important fight. I know Gastelum and you uh, share a manager. It's great to see him get back into a spot where he can get a title shot again. It looked like, you know, people had kind of written him off. He has another good fight, gets a good opportunity like this, and you're right back in it. So that's that's the beauty of this division. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's a lot of exciting fight, a lot of exciting fighters, and a lot of opportunities. Well, you are one of them, sir, and you're in the main event this weekend yourself, uh, taking on Kevin Holland. Really appreciate your time, and best of luck this Saturday. Thank you. For the second straight week, I'm joined by Charles Jordan, which is usually a good thing. And, of course, it was a great win over Marcelo Rojo in Las Vegas this past weekend. I would have liked to speak with you anyways because I always enjoy picking your brain, win or lose, about what happened in, in the bouts. But this time around, when I was watching, at the end of the second round, I thought to myself, this is very similar to the last fight against Kulabau. Very close fight. Uh, let's see if anything changes this time around. And, of course, it did. Yes, 100%. Like, uh, I thought there's no way I'm letting that one go. And I just woke up and I started being more confident. And I, I performed the way I performed in my career in TKO. Like, uh, just being crazy. And, uh, no, I, I felt myself in that third round. And I was kind of sad. I, I couldn't pull the trigger as fast during first round and second. But, no. End of the second, I started feeling the groove, um, having fun. And then third round was all fun for me. Yeah. Very fun fight. You know, it's interesting because after the fight, when you were talking to media, you talked about how in the corner, you told your, your corner you wanted to be a champion and this, you know, you needed to get the finish in this round. It seems like very few people are as inspired in the corner between rounds as you are. I think back to the Duho Choi fight. Why do you think that is? Why are you able to get that inspiration uh, in the corner in between rounds that really impact you that much? I, I think it's facing danger. It's putting my mind into like some weird, dark place where I thought to myself, uh, I'm going to lose. And that scares me. Like going back home, uh, like crazy hours in planes and this and that. Going back home with a, lo with a loss, I, I hate the feeling. And I was like, okay, no, there's no way I'm letting that one go. Plus the dual choice was like more of to, I had pressure to prove who I was. Just like that's what I felt from Rojo. When I, was, when I did the face off with him, it's like it's his first big fight in the UFC, and he, I felt like he had something to prove. That's why first round I was like, like taking his arm out mostly because I knew he had the very powerful hands. And uh, but we're coming back to what I was saying about the, the what I felt from him is, is he was there to prove something, and that's very dangerous because that's what I, that's the situation I was when I fought uh, when I fought Duo Choi, and uh, I know he would come out crazy and uh, powerful. But uh, I managed to, uh, to, to pass through the storm, and the uh, end of the fight was all mine. So it becomes almost like a fight-or-flight instinct. Like, it, you know, it's, it's really that yeah. much of a do-or-die thing. Exactly, exactly. And that's, like, there's no way I was going... Because when, when Fabio told me maybe 1-1 could be 2-0 to him, and the first thing that pops up is, no, 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 I want to be a world champion, and I'm there. that's not how I'm going to become one by taking my time, picking shots. No, no, no. Like, be the crazy, flamboyant kid you like to be and uh, have fun. And I started to have fun, like, jumping on the cage with hammer fists and stuff. So, yeah, I need, I need to pull the trigger faster, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did. Now, I, I gained back a lot of confidence from that win. Coming back from the 2020, which I had the split decision loss to Philly and then the draw in Abu Dhabi, I was like, there's no win for me in 2020. And I, I, I didn't feel good about that. And I was like, no. That's not how champions work, and you have to learn from those. And if I, I if I didn't have the the year 2020 I, I had, maybe on the stool between the second and third, I would have been just okay. It's a fight. I don't mind. But now, now uh, I want to be a world champion. I want to make. Uh, I wanted to make a statement, and I did. I was watching a video uh, that the fight site did, and they do a great job with strategy and technique. And then I went on their Twitter, and I said, you had responded to it. So you've seen the same video, which allows me to kind of ask you yeah. about this. You did a lot of um, what a lot of people call money in the bank. You, you were kicking the arms. You were going to the body. Yeah. Was that part of the strategy, or was that just taking what was available to you at that time? No, I, I, I was gun-shy when it comes to boxing. Uh, 
like straight boxing with him because he throws a lot of hooks, stepping hooks, changing stance. So I didn't want to play around what he was uh, good at. Uh, I'm a big fan of kicking forearms. And I'm so happy when people uh, do breakdowns and they say, oh, Charles really liked to kick those forearms to make sure that when it comes to clinch or strikes, people lose a lot of power. And it's a, it's a real thing. People think when, when I kick the forearm, it's like, oh, it's blocked. But have you ever been kicked on the forearm? It hurts. It's crazy. Like uh, Philly, had the, the, like he said at one point during our fight, his arm became a little bit numb. So he didn't have any power in that backhand. So me, if I can take away your best weapon, uh, which uh, to a lot of people is their big right hand, and now I can train with, uh, trade with you without worrying, without being too much worried about that. So no, I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed watching that breakdown. I think the, these guys did a good job, and uh, any fan of like kickboxing or in Muay Thai knows that those aren't block kicks. Those are like you said, damage in the bank. So it's great analysis. Yeah, and like you mentioned, when they tally up the statistics for these fights, sometimes it doesn't count as a significant strike because it looks like a block. But it does do the damage. Yes. You know, a lot of people block head kicks, and of course, some some of it gets through. And it's important yes. that that kind of thing is recognized because that can rock somebody even if it's blocked. Totally agree. Yes. So you mentioned afterwards as well that you're not looking to call anybody out right now. You feel like the UFC is going to give you whoever they think is the right opponent for you. You feel like a performance yes. like that, even though you got a finish, doesn't give you the uh, the right just yet to start calling out names. Absolutely, because uh, after my fight against Troy, I became crazy and said, oh, I won my place in the top 15. Then they gave me under Philly. I really fell short. But uh, no, there's level to this game and I'm... Uh, uh, I, I saw myself, I saw my career, sorry, more as a sprint than a marathon. And now the more and more I gain fights and experience, the more and more I understand uh, the, the slowdown. It's a marathon, step by step. Now you need to face uh, another opponent, like in the top 30. I don't know, I don't know the ranking uh, past 15. I don't know where, I'm, where I am right now, but I know there's a lot of very good fighters. And uh, now I like... It's a very good win, but it's not a win that's pushing me to the top and make let me call out guys I want to fight. But there's a lot of good guys out there with a good name uh, that I would uh, enjoy uh, fighting. I saw a lot of people making like uh, picks, and uh, one one guy that stood out that was like probably near me in the ranking is uh, the damage Darren Elkins. I'm like, he's a wrestler, he's a pace pusher, he's a veteran, and I really like his style. And uh, they say he's called the damage because he can get damaged a lot and keep going. But then you see the face of Marcelo Rojo and you're like, can he endure that type of damage? Probably. I mean, that, that, that's one fight that I'm interested in. But uh, we'll see. I'm, I have great confidence in Mr. Shelby and my manager, Stefan. And uh, they, they're going to figure it out. My job is to train. And uh, if I want to be uh, a top fighter, I need to, to say, OK, let's face this guy. Let's face that guy. Whatever style they have. But of course... I want exciting fights, exciting fights like Rojo. He was a stand-up fighter. So all those type of fights, of course, I, I'm very in intrigued and interested in. But of course, one time they're going to put me against a wrestler who's going to try to push me to the fence and hold me and stump kick and all of this. And I have to prove that I can beat those type of guys also. But my preference would be a, a crazy dangerous striker. But hey, I'm, not, I'm no matchmaker. Yeah, you mentioned the picture of Rojo, and you know I love talking to you because you're a very nice guy and you're always smiling. And then I see this picture of, of this man, and I think to myself, I don't understand how this guy was able to do that to to another person. Do you get that a lot? Uh, yeah, people say there's a big contrast because you look like a small boy smiling, talking to DC on an interview, and then you see the other guy who, whose face is so busted up that people will have hard times recognizing him. I'm like, yeah, but it was him or me. And I'm glad it's not me because uh, my mom would have sent a, uh, a message to Dana White saying, oh, my son quit the MMA. <laughs> no, but for real, she said, if you ever come back home like this, we're going to have a talk. I said, don't worry. Don't worry. I I'm making the image. I'm not taking it right now. <laughs> well, this was the first injury you've sustained in a fight as well. Uh, any details on, on uh, you know, how much damage that there is to that particular? It was your hand, I believe. No, no, nothing. I, my mostly it was with the ground and pound. When I was dropping heavy shots on him, I, I felt a little bit of my knuckle. But right now my fists are completely healed. 
I, I, I went to the gym uh, today, this morning. That's why we had to do uh, the interview at this time because I was in Montreal and uh, trained a lot of things and I felt great. I did squats afterwards. You know, I want to keep the body in shape. And uh, yeah, so why I went to the gym might be your next question is because at one point I got him in, into a crucifix and uh, I got a guy who's training with me, a black belt, uh, Francis Gombis, a genius when it comes to crucifix and uh, four-point position. And uh, we worked on that because I was like, man, I, I could have the fight, but uh, with a submission, that would have been good. But uh, no, I, I lost uh, the, 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 the momentum and uh, I, I didn't have the proper technique when it comes to uh, that crucifix. So I went to the gym today, did a little tune-up and uh, w uh, drilled a lot of techniques. And uh, no, it was uh, it was fun because I, I there's a lot of details in this fight. I haven't watched it uh, too much. I, I want to, to to keep the memory of the fight itself more than the memory of me watching the fight. So um, yeah, when it comes to that crucifix spot, I was like, man, this is such a dominant and good position and good grapplers in the uh, MMA in the UFC would have finished the fight over there, and I didn't. So that that pissed me off a lot. You mentioned earlier in the interview that, uh, you know, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Do you know how many champions there are right now in the UFC that are in their 20s? Probably none. That's correct. Zero. I'm P Piotr Jan was the last one. Uh, so I think it's a great point by you is, to, is that you need to, uh, you know, take your time a little bit. It's, it's not uh, easy to become a champion in your 20s. Yes. Uh, I, I saw me was when I fought uh, Philly. Like the difference in strength, I was like, "What's going on here?" And he even like jabbed me a little bit with it afterwards, after the fight. He said something about, uh, "You know, take your time. You're still a small, small, small kid." And I was like, "Man, you're right." But in, the, in this fight, I felt physically strong, but I don't. I'm I'm nowhere near as uh, strong as a 30 year old uh, physical uh, uh, shape. So no, I'm, I'm glad you point that out. That I didn't know. It's a very cool. Uh, Thing to think about and the last thing i want to ask you about is i like speaking with fighters after the fight because you can be more honest you know if i say oh how's your camp going in your before a fight you have to tell yourself that it's going well because if you have any doubt that that will be channel channel uh channeled into the fight so how was your camp yeah. and how was your fight week uh, leading up to this fight did everything go according to plan i never been that calm uh i've never been that like I, I took a nap before the fight like four hours before the fight i, I said oh guys i'm gonna go lay down which is something I never do because you have all those fighting nerves. And me, I'm, I'm, I was very at peace. The whole camp, the whole thing. Like I, I let go of so many things uh, after the 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 Kulibau and the, the the Philly fight, where people start saying this and that about me, and uh, oh, he's never going to be a champion and blah blah blah. I I took offense at first place, and then I realized I'm doing this sport because I love it, and I'm doing it for myself, and I just enjoyed everything. Just the 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 process the cutting weight I wasn't on my cell phone too much I I just lived the moment and I yeah I have uh, I think it was the best fight week I've ever had even though we were secluded in the small area the hotel but uh, just talking with uh, my 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 cornermans and everything just it was uh, it was something great I was more in the moment and I didn't think about the fight the whole week I know I was there to fight but my mind was off the fight until fight day, until a couple hours before. So that gave me a lot of uh, like um, a rest to my mind. So when it comes to fighting, when it was the day of the fight, I let my mind become crazy. But not during the whole week. I wasn't as stressed. I wasn't as panicked. I wasn't as, I need to prove things to everybody. No, I was just living day by day. So more at peace. That That's how I would... Uh, say about my fight week okay. and my camp it's very difficult to funnel out and uh get rid of all the noise the expectations uh you know the criticism yeah. what what brought you to the realization that you were able to do that and now that you've won a fight do you go back on social media and read all the nice things that people are writing about you or do you just try to ignore that also um i mean i, I enjoy the support it's a great thing like people were sending me videos of them reacting and uh like how motivation my my what i said between one and two and i like that but this is not why i'm doing it for i really really genuinely love fighting so i i think i would do it even though i wasn't getting paid or there was no crowd or anything I'm, i really love fighting 
And when you do something you love, it doesn't matter what people say about you and how you should do it. And I, I don't know why people are so stuck at like trying to reply to someone says, who says, uh, oh, Charles shouldn't have used more his job. I'm like, okay, cool. I don't, I don't put energy into that. And back, back in the days, I would like argue with people and say, oh, yeah, but uh, you don't know what it is to be in the UFC and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. I, I don't. I don't take it personal whenever someone says something negative and uh, I, I enjoy when someone says something positive. But either way, what you say about me, it, it doesn't really matter to me. Now I, I get to know myself more and more as I grow up and I, I'm more at peace with, uh, uh, with, with just myself. Was there was there a point where you did take the criticism uh, very to heart, where where it really did bother you, and, and you would have trouble sleeping, and yeah. you know, it'd eat away at you? Yes, yes, for my whole career, for my whole career, man. I'm I'm 25 and I have more white hair than uh, <laughs> a lot of people. That's why I'm wearing a hat, <laughs> no, but for real, I I criticism. I, I mean, I grew up in this whole social media uh, lifestyle. You know, I was like 10. I had Facebook, MSN, then Instagram, and then this and that, and I. I think my generation uh, really uh, growing up with all the social media, they really put energy in what people think of them. They, when they look in the mirror, they don't even see themselves. They see what other people see. Like, I, like let's say I'm looking at myself in the mirror and said, oh, people are going to look at me and say, oh, his style is not. No, it's not about that. It's about what you see. And I know it's, it's weird. I'm, have I'm having trouble explaining it in English, but I... I that's right. Uh, by growing up in this environment, I, I took it to heart too much. And it was just making me pitiful and like not not as not as happy as I should have been. So I'm glad I learned everything. Uh, I'm glad I went through it. And now I'm I'm a more happy individual uh, when, when I realized all of that. Well, you're certainly wise beyond your years for having that realization at such a young age. There are still people that are probably in their 40s and 50s that have yet to come to that realization. So good for you on that and good for you on the big win this past weekend. Uh, congratulations. And I look forward to seeing more from you in the future. You're one of the top prospects in Canada and are a joy to watch. Thank you very much, Aaron. Always a pleasure talking to you. I'm now joined by the president of the Battlefield Fight League, uh, West Coast Regional Promotions has been at it for 10 plus years. It's Jay Golshani. Uh, Jay, thanks for joining me. And I've got a, an important question for you, obviously. Regional Mixed Martial Arts is back in Canada as of this past week. Rise did a show, and now you're staying out West doing another show back-to-back -back weeks with Regional Mixed Martial Arts. It's great to see it back. Yeah, uh, Rise had an event uh, on Saturday night. Uh, unfortunately, Matt Dwyer fell short, the BC guy in the main event. But um, yeah, we have an event coming up uh, this Friday night. Um, we started with 13 fights. Now we have eight uh, professional fights. It starts, it's our first show, on, it's our 11 year anniversary event and it's our debut on UFC Fight Pass. So we're really excited for it. It's a very stacked card headlined by uh, Achilles, undefeated champion versus uh, Curtis DeMarce. Yeah, it's a, a big event. And you mentioned Matt Dwyer. He's a BTC1 or a BFL1 alum. And you've got uh, Achilles Estramadula in the, in the main event. And he's a BTC, uh, BFL, I keep getting BTC stuck in my head, BFL1 uh, alumni as well. I've got my East Coast bias hat on with BTC, but we're going to say BFL from now on. Uh, but yeah, he's in the main event defending his title. What's it like to have somebody that's been there since day one on the 11-year anniversary show headlining the event? Yeah, it's crazy when you think about it. He was um, <clears throat> 17 years old. Achilles back then when we did casino shows, he couldn't even enter the casino. Um, he came in as a 17-year-old, just a Capoeira guy. And then now here we are um, 11 years later. Um, he's our undefeated champion. And... Uh, this is this is his ticket to the UFC. If he wins this fight, he was already invited to the Dana White Contender Series, but he couldn't um, get across the border because of visa issues during COVID. But he's got a tough uh, tough test ahead ahead of him against a, a veteran with 33 fights, so he'll have his hands full. He's got to pass this test if he wants to get to the UFC. Yeah, absolutely. He was booked, and then they changed some of the dates around, and unfortunately, it, it fell apart on him, as well as uh, Jamie Lynn Horthwessels, who's uh, another alumni of the BFL. So, uh, 
yeah, it's very tough to see a lot of these Canadian mixed martial artists not having a lot of avenues to compete. You know, last week uh, on UFC Fight Pass, you mentioned, of course, this is the first BFL event on uh, UFC Fight Pass. We had some Canadians at CFFC uh, that were successful in the, on the main card. So that's nice to see. But now when athletes are going to be traveling to the U.S. to compete, they're going to have to quarantine when they get back to Canada. So it, it's making it even more difficult for a lot of these fighters to compete on the regional scene outside of Canada. Yeah, and I think you have to, I think if you're in Ontario, you have to pay uh, $2,500 or stay in the government's uh, hotels, which is, um, that that's a substantial amount of money for a lot of the fighters. So it kind of deters them to go across the border. Um, it wasn't like that two months ago, but um, I guess we're in a pandemic. Hopefully this is all going to end soon. So uh, it's good that we can have a show here in Canada and keep a lot of the top Canadian uh, talent busy. So tell me a bit about yourself, because running a regional promotion for 10 events is hard enough to do. You've run it for 11 years. So uh, how did uh, you get into this game? And uh, how have you been able to be so successful and keep up uh, a promotion for this long? Well, uh, we first got into it uh, working a little bit with a hardcore fighting championship. Uh, same time as score series, the fighting series was going on um in 2008 to i think i would say 2007 to 2009 a lot of their events were also um, aired on scores a score fighting series um they had a lot of uh, top uh, talents uh, fight uh, for their promotion like musasi back then mike pyle fedor's brother nogera um but uh back then um pro mma that was all in alberta um and some shows in gatno but uh Back then, pro professional MMA was illegal in BC. So when it got legalized back in uh, 2010, uh, we started a Battlefield Fight League One. Um, we had to start off with uh, six amateur events, then did professional MMA and uh, learned a lot of uh, lessons from working with hardcore championship fighting, the way to budget for shows, how production is important, matchmaking is important, and slowly, slowly uh, building the fighters within your organization instead of um, expediting the process and that's always uh, been very important to us and we always say follow the same um, business model and now that we are in uh, UFC fight pass obviously uh, the fighters are going to get a lot more exposure and everyone's goal is eventually to get into the UFC so this is really going to help everyone out. And you've had a good amount of fighters end up in the UFC of course Cole Smith uh, unfortunately, no longer with the UFC, but uh, Tristan Connolly, who had a, a phenomenal debut uh, against Michelle Pereira uh, when he debuted in the UFC. And, um, you yeah. know, there's a, there's a lot more. Uh, Ryan James, for example, a lot of talent have come through the BFL. Is that one of the reasons why a lot of uh, fighters want to compete in the BFL is because they've seen results in terms of fighters getting called to the big show? Yeah, most of the guys that uh, we've had uh, seven make it from BFL to UFC and um, Arjun Buller, uh, former number one, uh, well, he's still the number one heavyweight in Canada. Jeremy Kennedy, number one featherweight in Canada. Um, of course, Cole Smith, like you mentioned, Ryan James, Mike Chiesa, Tristan. Um, most of uh, five of those guys started as amateurs in BFL and one an amateur. Matt Dwyer, of course, um, also uh, name is on that list. All those guys, five of them started as amateurs with us, won an amateur belt, then turned professional with us. So they started their entire career with us and went all the way up to the UFC. And that's kind of how uh, we groom the fighters. We start them as amateur, they win our amateur belt, then they turn professional and then um if if they're good enough they make the ufc so that's kind of our model we do the matchmaking from within and then um kind of expedite the process to the ufc if if they can make it if not then they go to different promotions will there be fans for this event uh, and if not how are you able to pull this off financially there is no fans uh for this event um you're not allowed to have any kind of uh, fans in um in BC anyways for now. There are seven um, jurisdictions in, in the States that you could have fans. We've looked at doing some events there maybe for the next uh, BFL, but because we wanted to keep all Canadian talent on, on this specific card, uh, we stayed here. Um, UFC Fight Pass obviously um, is a, a big help. We, they're our streaming partner, so they do obviously help with um, 
the cost of doing an event and this is basically why they're uh, it's possible of course we have um some other financial avenues like sponsorship and things like that so that's what how it kind of makes it feasible to do this event but obviously um we we would like to have fans or at our events because that's where most of our revenue comes from any changes in terms of the production uh how do you have the same commentary team do you have the same um kind of setup or because it's on fight pass have you elevated it at all um, our production has always been really good. We have the same commentary team, but there is a lot of upgrades that you will see on Friday night that you've never seen before during our broadcast. You're going to see a different kind of instant replay, different interactive corner cam that you basically only see at the UFC events, um, live, uh, live odds, live betting odds, live stats. Um, just, uh, it's going to be, a di the production has always been excellent, but this is going to be on like a different uh, level. Yeah, having read about you, it seems like you're very uh, obsessed with how the production looks, which is something that Dana White shares with you. He's very, he's very uh, much a stickler for making sure that it looks really nice uh, for, the, for the viewer at home. And that seems like a, a big priority for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you mentioned before, a lot of uh, the... Canadian promotions do a really good job on production. Like you mentioned, those guys on BTC, newer promotion, they do a great job also. Um, but our production, we've always, since our very first show, that's been very important to us because that separates a normal promotion from an upscale promotion. And now that we are on Fight Pass, we're gonna have a lot more um, statistics added to our event. So you, if, if you tune in in the middle of a fight, you're going to know exactly from the stats that we display on that uh, screen what happened in the first round, what happened in the second round, who's winning the fight, significant strikes, very, very advanced st statistics that's just going to change um, the outlook of the fight. So in a perfect world, how many events would you like to hold this year? Um, eight. I mean, we've been averaging uh, seven to eight events in the last, uh, well, 10 years because we got slowed down because of the pandemic. We haven't held an event for over a year now. But uh, I guess because it's a March start, ho hopefully uh, six to seven this year, minimum five at the very, very minimum, five events this year. And are you hoping to keep them all in British Columbia? Or, or like you mentioned before, you might even venture into the US for a show? Um, it depends. I, I, I think we would go to the U.S. for at least one one event because when you get two guys that are holding your championship belts, like like you mentioned, like Jamie Lynn Horth, who's undefeated and just one fight away from the UFC, maybe if she can get into Dana White's contender series and um, get a visa, she's already in the UFC. Uh, Deanne uh, Kajic, like... Uh, Jared Ravel, these guys need, they've already fought everybody in Canada and the Americans can't come across the border. So we might have to go to the U.S. to get them those fights before they get into the UFC. It's, it's kind of hard to do an event when the borders are kind of closed and you have to fight Canadian talent versus Canadian talent. So, and, and we do have a lot of guys from Pacific Northwest on our roster. So it wouldn't be like we're going completely away from our home base if we were to go to the States. And what kind of protocols do you have in place in terms of COVID-19? I saw that you had announced a partner uh, that was going to be overseeing that for you. But uh, walk me through the protocols. Do you guys have a bubble uh, similar to a lot of the other promotions? Uh, what, what's it like to put this event on under these circumstances? Again, regional mixed martial arts in Canada. This has only been this is the second event, you know, coincidentally in back to back weeks. But there hasn't been one in basically a year. Yeah, so we started on the process uh, with um our medical advisory board about four or five months ago for this specific event. Obviously, our um, key mandate is social distancing during the event. So um, dressing rooms are not shared. Each each fighter has their own unique uh, dressing room. Uh, meeting the um, rules meeting is virtual. Um, so and fighters don't arrive to the venue or at the lane at the same time. A staggered arrival. So not all. So there's only a very uh, limited number of people in, in the venue at the same time. Um, and then we have social distancing inspectors to make sure uh, people are um, 
keeping social distance from each other. Uh, besides the judges uh, that have to sit Kate side, everybody else staggered throughout the venue in specific seats, social distancing. All the fighters and coaches um, have sent in their uh, COVID test two weeks out, just like Bellator used to do, to, just to make sure they're not training with COVID. And we have access to rapid testing at, at the venue in case we need to uh, rapid test uh, some of the athletes to get the results back in 15 minutes. So it's, it's a very um, complex process, but it's very safe. Well, Jay, it's nice to meet you. It's great to uh, see that you guys continue to do it right in terms of regional promotion. Uh, lots of big names that have come through BFL. I expect there to be a lot more. Uh, hopefully for Achilles, this uh, ends up being a, a successful title defense for him. And he's able to get uh, another invitation to the Contender Series, although not, not to take away from his opponent. I'm sure his opponent is, is great uh, and has just as good a chance as anybody else to, to beat Achilles. So I don't want to just single out Achilles as somebody who could get to the UFC. His opponent very well could get there, there too. So uh, thanks for this, Jay. I really appreciate it. And best of luck. It's on Fight Pass this, uh, this Friday night. It's uh, BFL. Uh, thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Aaron. A huge thank you to all of our guests on this week's show. Triple C, Henry Cejudo, Kevin Holland, Derek Brunson, Charles Jordan, and Jay Golshani, the president of Battlefield Fight League. Thanks for tuning in. We'll have another show for you uh, tomorrow. Right now, it's uh, Wednesday night. Not sure if it's gonna get, this is going to get up on Wednesday night. It should be up Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Uh, and myself and Joe are going to be taping on Thursday morning to uh, catch you up on everything that went down on this past weekend's UFC Fight Night card and also get you primed and ready to go for UFC 260, headlined by Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou, too. So stoked for this one. And the featherweight title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, he is great, he's the champion, against Brian Ortega. Lots of content next week uh, on TSN Sports Center as well, and some interviews coming at you on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. We'll have Stipe, Francis, all the big principals, everybody who you want to hear from will be on next week's show. Really appreciate you tuning in. And like I asked off the top, please rate and review the show if you have an opportunity. Uh, the show doesn't cost anything. We do a week in and week out and uh, deliver you some great interviews. So if you have time, please rate and review. Appreciate that. Talk to you next week.